This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. My name is Rob Kelly, and I'm your host. I remember distinctly the first time that I won a junior national championship. It was in 1996. It was in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and it was kind of a foundational moment for me. The thing about it is not the fact that I won, but the fact that I won it as a part of a team. I wasn't the oldest guy. I was only 16 years old. You know, there were several 18-year-olds who were a part of this four-person relay that I was on. And I had been chosen by them to lead things off. Of course, I'm not talking about track racing. I'm not talking about bike racing at all. I'm, I'm talking about swimming and I'm talking about a medley relay, which has nothing to do with bike racing at all. But the important thing here is about faith. The faith that the other members of the team put in me and the faith that my coach put in me as well to make me the leadoff swimmer in that relay. I bring it up because today's guest, Dalton Collins, now on automatic racing, is in a similar situation to what I was in in 1996. He's brand new on this team featuring incredible riders like the 2019 USA Crits individual champion Tom Gibbons. They've put faith in him. They've put faith in him to accomplish the goals and do the work for the team that he needs to do. And yes, he's earned his spot. He has incredible results. He has an incredible trajectory. He's going to do good things. But the most important thing is other people believe in him. That confidence is infectious. That confidence that other people inspire in you is the thing that he needs and you need and we all need in order to take risks and take chances. As far as Dalton goes, you'll hear it a lot in the course of this interview. He is older than his 21 years and he is ready to go. He was ready to go in 2020. Unfortunately, the world wasn't ready for him. But now 2021 is dawned. And as part two of our The Future is All Right, I wanted to feature him because I wanted to talk about this idea of faith. And I wanted to talk about this idea of putting yourself out there and being willing to make risks and to fail and to have people there who are ready to back you up when you do so that you can ultimately succeed. Let's talk a little bit about support. And this is Segway Street, so hold on. I want to talk about the Wide Angle Podium Network of Shows, the world's only collection of top-tier independent cycling content. Head on over to WideAnglePodium.com to check out the full lineup of shows, including Nowhere Fast, Cyclocross Radio, The Slow Ride Podcast, and this show, Criterium Nation. We are a proud member of this network. We will remain a proud member of this network, and we're excited to invite you to become members of this network and help support this content creator-owned process. You don't need to financially support. If you've got the capacity to do so, we really appreciate it. But there are a ton of easy ways for you to do so without donating money. For example, go on to Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, wherever it is that you get your podcast from, Leave us a review. Tell us we're doing a good job. Tell others that we're doing a good job. Your reviews help other people find this show. Your reviews help guide the algorithms that are both a part of Cyclocross Radio's Heat Check and the world of podcasting marketing tools. So please 
spend a few minutes. If you're listening to this show and you listen all the way through, I know that you have spent a few minutes and I know that you're committed to listening to the best in cycling and criterium racing podcasting. So I'd appreciate it if you did do that. So that's enough prelude for this episode. We're talking with Dalton Collins of Automatic Racing, and I'll let him pick it up from here. I'm Dalton Collins. I race for Automatic Racing, and I'm from Washburn, Wisconsin. Washburn, Wisconsin is on the banks of probably one of my favorite spelled bodies of water in the United States. And I don't know how you get Schwamigan <laughs> out of that collection of letters, yeah. but because of the guys at the Slow Ride Podcast who are huge fans of the, the Schwamigan Bike Fest, I actually know how it's pronounced. But the weird thing, and this is, you'll have to forgive me, I'm going to do a Game of Thrones reference here. I've never really watched the show, but... I don't know exactly where in between you and I, so between Washburn and Washington, D.C., the wall would be that would keep the White Walkers out of the warm part of the world. But I'm pretty confident it's probably within walking distance of Washburn. Where is Washburn, Wisconsin? So Washburn, Wisconsin is the very tippy top of the state of Wisconsin. If you look at the like the top little peninsula of it, you can see islands and those are the Apostle Islands. And I live about 15 minutes south of there in a town, Washburn, Wisconsin. This is not a place that one would typically consider to be like the bastion of bike racing. I mean, there's a lot of outdoor activity and it's absolutely gorgeous with the lake right there next to it. But what were the type of things that you, you know, growing up as a kid in Washburn were doing athletically? Uh, so I started running. Uh, my mom was the cross country coach. She was the track coach. So I got into running that way. And then in sixth grade, I started Nordic skiing with a local 4-H group. And then just kind of went off from there, ran all throughout high school, skied all throughout high school competed in one of the biggest North American ski races there was and got a decent result in that. And then competed all across the Midwest racing skis. What type of skiing? Are we talking like downhill, giant slalom? No, we're talking uh, cross-country skiing, Nordic skiing. There's like no real downhill. Like the downhills here, they're about 45 seconds. And so it's, the downhill racing does exist, but it's Nordic skiing is, I think, a lot better. Yeah, growing up just south of the border between Illinois and Wisconsin, I would occasionally go downhill skiing. And it was always right there along the Mississippi River. You could see the river from from the top of the ski slope, which was really just the hill falling down into the river. So to call anything that we did there chairlift necessary would have been like a really large stretch. But you found bike racing because of cross-country skiing. You actually used it kind of in the reverse from the way that a lot of people would use skiing for bike racing, which is a way to do some sort of aerobic activity during the summer. Yeah, I kind of just used it as a little cross-training thing and then found a niche there. And it was like, oh, biking's way better. (laughs) We all do find out somehow weird ways that we're a lot better at the thing that we didn't know we were good at. And then we become passionate about it. 
and you've clearly become passionate about this sport of bike racing and not in a very long period of time. I think one of the things we're burying here in the lead here is that you just, well, you're just about to turn 21. Yeah. Yeah. And I think time of recording is four days. So that's fun. So you're you're officially the third birthday recordee. We had Starla, whose birthday was right after, right before we recorded. Then we had Tyler Reynolds, who turned twenty or nineteen, excuse me, like the day after or the day before we recorded. And now you are a early January baby, so we are just crushing it. I'm wondering, I'm wondering when Celine Oberholzer's birthday is because she's up after you, and if she turns twenty four, oh. I'm just gonna quit my job and go into gambling and and picking numbers (laughs) you know just 21 years of age you really are just getting into the sport but you dove in head first i think if i remember correctly it was like a little bit of dabbling in the racing in 2016 2017 yeah and then you hit it hard in 20 in 2018 and even more so in 2019 what was it that allowed you to go from nothing to everything in just three or four years. First started 2016. That was kind of like the first season I actually did. I think I did like four, maybe high 20, 30 races for the Midwest, which was a lot. Get my not really guest riding, but riding for a club team at big Midwest race called the Lacrosse Omnium. And my dad and I, we drove five hours down there, stayed there, and then I ended up getting podium result in a TT and then did my first ever crit and got third in that, which was a junior crit. And I was super stoked on that. And then joined Northstar Development after that. And then from there, they were able to take me to all sorts of places across the Midwest and nationals, California, and even to Quebec, Canada. Most of us get dropped in our first crit. I think it was five or six crits in, and I was at Gateway Cup the first year that I raced. And I still hadn't finished a single race. I mean, I crashed twice in the first race that I ever did. Do you think that your success was owed heavily to the fact that you had this incredible engine coming from cross-country skiing? I'd say so. And I watched a bunch of GCN videos the night before on crit, uh, like crits and like all their t- tips and tricks and just to survive and I was like, I watched it, stayed up a little, probably a little too late, but the field was like, it was, it was a decent sized field. It was like 15 juniors, maybe. And it was mixed between 15, 16, 17, 18. So it was definitely a field. And for my first credit ever, I was like super stoked just to hang on, stay in for it and to get a podium on top of that. Yeah. And then because of where you live in Wisconsin, in the Midwest, you have access to all these great series. So you've got Dairyland, you've got Intelligentsia, you've got Quad Cities. So you've got this great ability to race a whole bunch of times with not much commitment because it's five hours for you to get from one end of Wisconsin to the other. So, I mean, it's not like you can just pop on over for a Tuesday night training race. How did you actually get experience? I mean and do your training and do all those sort of things. Is it a lot of solo miles? Yeah, I probably, I kind of joked around and not like joked around like training wise, but like 
would joke around with other people saying is like, I have no idea how to ride in a pack because hundred percent of the, the miles I do is all solo. I would like on training rides, I would try to wide ride on the white line just to like practice, like balancing in place, like not being squirrely and all that stuff. Cause I wasn't riding with other people. So I really wouldn't get that whole, like that kind of like that skill of riding in a group. Well, one of the things that really helped you, I guess, is moving out of Wisconsin and going to college because you really went 300 and or 180 degrees. 360 would take you right back to where you started. So let's get our math right. But you went 180 degrees away from Wisconsin with its, you know, nine months of winter to North Carolina with its nine months of August. Where are you in school now? At Brevard. Uh, right now, I think I'm two credits shy of being a senior. I plan on graduating a semester early. And so like next fall. So that's kind of kind of daunting that my senior year is right now but i'm a integrated studies of business and english and then an exercise science minor what is it like making that transition from winter to humidity i mean did you have any trouble doing that i mean has it been easy for you to to sort of live in this new world where it's just hot it's a uh, brevard's at a little bit of elevation so it's at me i think right around I don't want to give any wrong numbers, but I think it's about 2000 feet, but it has the Blue Ridge Parkway, Blue Ridge Parkway, like right up the mountain and that's at 4,000 feet. So they'll actually see more weather than we do, but it's still, you still got your 30 degree, 40 degree days and it's a lot more rain. It's apparently when I first went there, I didn't realize it was a rainforest and it would rain about two inches every day at two o'clock, like on the dot. It was amazing. I think the hardest part was figuring out what the rain schedule was and then basing the training off of that and then not burning out by riding so hard all the time. Is it easy to do that with the folks that are there with you? Yeah, there's a talented spectrum of people. The Brevard College Cycling Team draws and we have like Canadians. We have one girl who's from Grand Canarias Islands and we have riders from all across the US there. Have you found that having these other riders with you? Now, obviously 2020 is a weird year. There were no rules in 2020. So, I'm I'm talking about back in the the before days. Did you find having that variety of people there to be something that actually made you a better person? Yeah, I think it definitely like opened my eyes. Like coming from northern Wisconsin, we're pretty secluded from everything. I'd say like the radio station, like the the top music you hear on your radio station, it takes about three months to get to Northern Wisconsin. It's just so far behind. So it was just big thing just to get out and actually like talk to other people from across the country and even from different nations. And then just to be able to live with them and train with other cyclists was, I think, I think one of the key factors on why I found success so fast. Give us a, give us an example. Now, when we talked to Tyler Reynolds, he was talking to us about going over to Korea to do the tour of the DMZ and how for a kid from Pella, Iowa, Korean food was a little bit different than the food that he was normally eating at home. So, you know, what are some of the things for you going from this, what is a relatively small town in Wisconsin to this much more diverse international group of bike racers living in North Carolina like like the biggest difference I'd say was all the southern accents I when I first got down there I listened to my first true southerner and I was like what are they saying 
but then it's like as i like lived down there more and more and more i was like starting to understand the southern accent and i came back christmas break and one of my friends said is like oh i hear a little southern draw in your voice i was like oh oh dear (laughs) (laughs) you guys (laughs) i i don't know if i pronounce it correctly by the way I always growing up pronounced it Wisconsin, not Wis. It was always Wisconsin, and that might be a Chicagoan thing. It also might be I had a couple of friends whose parents were from Wisconsin. Don't you know? Have I been pronouncing it wrong my entire life? Is it really not Wisconsin? I think it's Wisconsin. It's the W I S in there. It's not W E S. I'd say Wisconsin, and then. You got your infamous bag and bag. They all sound the same, but apparently it's different. I think the same thing about the word rune and the symbol rune. They're two totally different words, and I swear I'm pronouncing them differently, but my wife doesn't hear any difference, and all she does is say, all she does is mock me anytime it comes out of my mouth, and so I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to run with this. I promise this is the last question that I'm going to ask about winter in Wisconsin. Oh, okay. (laughs) Because... It's a legit thing. You know, where you live in North Carolina now, 30, 40 degrees, you can ride outside every single day of the year as long as it's not iced or snowing. Yeah. Even though riding in the snow when it's just falling is kind of fun. Yeah. I really like it. Or going out on the fat bike or the mountain bike, whatever, on the trails. With winter and with winter in northern Wisconsin and and training when you were still in high school, how did you do it? I mean, it is really cold and the sun sets really early. My my last semester of my high school year, since my mom is, she's also the gym coach at the school uh, and I was a senior at the time and I was like kind of a little head on credits. So I ended up taking two gym classes, one of them being in a, an individual gym class, the other one being like a, a lifting gym class or something like that. And then at the end of that, I would have my lunch break. So I would actually just come home because I only live a block away from the school. I'd come home and then ride in my basement for about two hours, two hours a day on Zwift. And this was kind of before Zwift really blew up, but it was like right on that crust. And I would just just Zwift a lot. It's incredibly boring, but it was always fun. And it clearly got the job done. Yeah. Yeah. Because we got to turn to 2019 and the way that you approached 2019 is amazingly interesting to me because if you look at your results, if you look at the way that you progressed during that year, and this is your big year as a Cat 2 going to a Cat 1 by the end of it, the way that you progress is like you basically just warmed up. It was like one long warm-up until you hit those last couple of races of the year, Gateway Cup, the end of of, uh, Toad, and and this bicycle blues and barbecue series that you did. Yeah. Walk us through how 2019 developed from the beginning. Was it your mission to make this a huge year for you? Yeah. My whole 2019 was the single goal of to get a, my cat one. I figured might as well try to go for it, gun for it. In the end of 2018, I me and a uh, guy I just met from at college, we drove nine hours to chase upgrade points to get that cat too. And I got it there. And then I was like, we're going to go for this cat one now. And just committed to the training hard, did all that stuff. 
found time to do Louisville cyclocross nationals that year, which was super fun. Then came back in like super early January and just hit the base miles, all that stuff. And then with Brevard College, we went down to the Greenville Hincapie Spring Series. And I was able to get a win, I think, at the very, when the very last weekend against some big names. Um, a lot of the Hincapie Junior Riders were there. I think a couple of the Continental team were there. And it was just a super fun experience. And that was very motivating because I was like, oh, wow, I'm actually getting in shape. And then from there, following and helping uh, the senior, Scott McGill, uh, help at Collegiate Nationals, that gave me a bunch of fitness and a bunch of confidence. And then Quad Cities, I found a decent result there. And that was more confidence boosting. Then Toad just kind of went off in a sense, like started putting things together. Got um, in one of the races, ended up like taking this like last minute flyer, five laps to go and got caught like literally 150 meters left to the line. Still ended up fifth, but I found my confidence and I found something that worked for me. That's kind of like the biggest thing. Clearly it did. And there's two questions that come out of that. First, let's do this chronologically. First, going back to the Greenville Spring Series. Not everybody has access to something like this. And I think that that is a fault because what ends up happening in a lot of parts of the country is that we get into this position where it becomes March and we start trying to do these road races. We start like, we are so hungry to race, especially in 2021. I mean, we're going to be salivating to race by the time we actually get there. But in a normal year, we're so hungry to race that we're willing to push kind of bad situations. And we try to do these like big races, road races, whatever, and travel. But the Greenville spring series is this, it, it, it is, simple. They're not complicated courses. There's nothing that's really terribly challenging about it. It's not like it's a big money purse thing. It's just, it, it literally is a line on the road that you race to. And that's a lot like this race series that I had in college in Lawrence, which was a wide open campground where you could see all four corners of it. Coming into the season, obviously you had the Brevard stuff that you were able to do for collegiate and you living in the South it's warm down there earlier than it is up north. But how much of your success do you think that year was due to the fact that you got to race four spring races? I mean, you had raced 10 times at least by the time you got to April. So when you actually showed up at Joe Martin stage race, the idea of racing was not foreign to you. I'd say the Greenville spring series is probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. I didn't treat it like a race. I kept it, I treated it like a hard hard training ride. And it's like, it's, it's a fun time. It's a training experience. It's a training race. It says it in its name. And it's like, all right, let's see how I can smash myself this race. Let's try something new. Let's try going for the gun. Let's try this last minute breakaway. Let's see what works. So I kind of took the Greenville races as a way to test stuff to see if they work for me or not not more or less sitting in and waiting for the sprint it was let's actually work let's do stuff let's actually like benefit from this race the second question that came from that was about toad and it was about the the time that you took a flyer and you ended up getting caught and it it probably stings somewhere inside of you that you got caught 
especially 150 meters away from the finish, you know, you can just about smell and taste that victory. But it taught you something. It taught you something about racing. What was that? It's brutal. You could be the strongest person, smartest person, but racing is racing and it is brutal. You could have the best day of your life, be in the be in the breakaway, but still get caught 10 meters to the line. And it's racing. It's kind of how it is. Doesn't it teach you a little bit about racing from the front? Yeah, it does. You can, you can be super aggressive and still be really good. I think racing aggressive is my kind of style. It's not really sitting back and waiting. It's being proactive on the front, drilling it, doing stuff. I prefer that racing way more than sitting on the back and chilling. I'm starting to come to an understanding what Tom Gibbons of automatic racing sees in you and his racing style because you mirror his, let's go to the front, let's put ourselves out there, and I don't care what's going to happen, but I'm going to put all of my cards on this table and one of them may stick. What is it about these crits because you do gravitate towards them more than any other type of racing what is it about crits that seems to grab your attention it's just the constant action the constant flow of it is it's kind of i've never surfed in my life i've boogie board and that's the closest surfing i've ever been but i would say crit racing is a lot like that where it's like you're it's just euphoric almost it's i i can't really describe it because i'm a loss for words with it and not racing this year was like oh, wow, I really miss that. So I miss that feeling a lot. I think it's one of the greatest feelings in the world. You do it right. You're going 30 plus miles an hour with 150 of your closest best friends that you just met that day. It's amazing. It's the best thing ever, I I believe. What's that euphoria like? Explain it to somebody who doesn't know. I've been an athlete since before you were born. I mean, I started I started swimming in 1984. So competing as an athlete is like second nature to me. And this idea of being not necessarily an adrenaline junkie, but like addicted to the feeling of competition is something that I can't separate from my identity. But for for a guy or for a woman who who has never done this, has has sat on the sidelines or has been willing to be a spectator, what's your pitch to him or her for them to to feel this euphoria. You're so focused on one thing and you know if somebody loses focus, one of the worst things will ever happen, a major crash. And it's the combined collective of about 150 of your closest best friends just being focused. It's I it's such a unique feeling where it's it's so hard to describe, but it's like once you experience it, you're hooked. That's what I would say. It's think of like the one event that made you basically like not tear up, but like close to that. And you just keep driving it. It's kind of, it's almost like an addiction, but it's maybe like that, but maybe not like a negative thing. I would say positive, but it's such a, it's such a great feeling. I I am terrible at describing it. You and I raced together in 2019 at the Gateway Cup. I didn't know this until I saw your results, but we were in the same field. You beat me three out of the four days. Only the fourth day did I beat you, but I have a feeling that by that point in time, you were getting tired of podiums, so you just wanted to see what the rest of the race was like. But the the race that I want to talk about is that first night at Lafayette Park. 
It was, I mean, Lafayette Park is, I don't know how many times have you done that race? That was my first time ever doing it. Just to like lay the groundwork for everybody, Lafayette Park is the simplest race that's ever been imagined. It is, it is six lanes across or something like that, and it's a perfect square. If there is any uphill, it doesn't matter, you know, because you're getting sucked along in the draft. But what made it so different this year was because it was as if somebody turned a high-pressure garden hose on you. And, I mean, they had to cancel a couple of the races, and they let a few of the Cat, I think, 4s race with us or some of the Cat 3s race with us because their race got canceled. So they just, it, it was just 50 guys racing in conditions that were horrific. But you you navigated it. And, in fact... You navigated it and got a third. Yeah. Now, I know, because I was there, that with two laps to go, there was the crash. Where were you when this crash happened? I, if I, my memory serves me right. That was actually a kid I grew up racing with. He somehow, I think he crossed some wheels and then he went down, but I was ahead of it. And I heard just like a bunch of carbon brakes like squeaking and it was like, well, there was a crash and... It's so dark, it's so wet, I can't turn around to see what just happened. But we need to go because there's two laps left. And now we're going into like the slight uphill on the course. I was right behind it. Oh. It happened right at the start finish line. Yeah. So there was, that was actually the craziest thing. Yeah. There was actually light on the course. People could see. It was like the one point in time. And it started on the left side of the course. So on the inside, and it cascaded all the way across the field to the right side where I was and I was able to actually come to a stop Oh wow! before getting killed. But <laughs> I came to a stop in front of my wife. That's not good. No, it's never good. <laughs> and she, she was a little, let's just say it like this. She was a little concerned about my participation in that race because I had broken my collarbone the year before at gateway. And so when it was raining cats and dogs, she's like, are you sure you want to do this? Sure. You want to do this? I'm like, it's okay. So this crash happens, you know, somebody lands basically in her lap and I come to a stop right in front of her. She had so much adrenaline going (laughs) that she yelled out, what are you fucking doing? Go, go as hard as you can. So (laughs) If you look at my file, I go from 35 to zero to 35 in the in a period of 25 or 30 seconds. And you guys were gone. Like the entire field was gone and I was racing by myself. And I think I ended up 15th or 20th, somewhere around there, which shows you how much of the field got taken out. For you, what was that last lap and a half like in the darkness, in the rain? It was intense. It was like you're being aggressive to be at the front of the race because it's so I like at that point I was like I knew there was a crash behind me but I couldn't see it but now it's like all right everybody's sketchy now I want to be top five top ten wheels because there's only going to be 10 people who could take me out and I would rather have 10 people in front of me who could take me out rather than 25 people in front of me who could take me out and it was well you remember the going into the final turn on that final straightaway it was pitch black it was crazy dark and i knew is like i want to not 
I want to be one of the first ones to the final turn, just in case there's a person who goes out. Because this is a four-day race weekend. I came here to get results and my upgrade points. And I don't want to get taken out on the first turn. So that was my whole thing. Is like I want to stay in the front, not do too much work, but also not slow down because there was all there was that big crash and not everybody got in the crash. And I don't want a massive wave of people with whole much more momentum than we have come zooming by us and then it's just like the washing machine effect takes place where you now we're on the front and you find yourself at the very back of the pack but now you walk away with third you are in your in contention for the overall because it's an omnium and you go through this incredible week oh this incredible weekend where you get third i think it's like fifth or sixth in the next two days and those races are very very different you know, first day, second day, third day, they're all very, very different. But you seem to excel until you get to the last day. And Benton Park's hard. I mean, it's not it's not like Lafayette Park. What happens there? So if um, you remember going down the start finish line, kind of like there's like a rough patch of road where it's just bumpy. My chain came off and I mistakenly well it got lodged between like the carbon and the crank set so i just like kind of like kind of like pulled off to the side started yanking on it finally got it out and i went over to the pit and then they're like you don't get a free lap just start chasing and i was like shoot so i was in the race for a little bit and i was super excited that was my favorite course out of the entire weekend and i was so excited for it but i was off the back about 45 seconds just trying to time trial my way trying to at least get some sort of effort in yeah that's a hard course to be off the back because if you can almost grab a hold you can almost grab a hold numerous times and then you get onto that straight section with the slight uphill and the start finish line and it's just like i want nothing but draft right here i think i may would have made up a lot if it was like like the twisty parts if it was like a very twist twisty corner i think i would would not have been a problem but those long the long straight downhill and the long straight uphill were just like you're dying a thousand deaths it was i'm doing the hardest i can do right now and this is like bittersweet because i think i was in second or third in the omnium if i would have won it i would have secured second or maybe could have won the overall that day and it was just just slipping away and it was like it was really heartbreaking but that's racing it's brutal but you did win something indirectly you grabbed tom gibbons's attention yeah yeah that's that was probably the biggest thing talk to us about him talk to us about getting his attention about becoming a part of automatic well i kind of i didn't really i didn't get to meet him at gateway cup it wasn't until a couple weeks later where one of my friends actually saw in the instagram post from automatic racing where they're accepting well, they're accepting like rider applications and all that stuff. And he's like, well, you're a crit racer. You should do it. Race the USA crit series. And I was like, yeah, totally. Let's do it. So I had sent my application in and then I got a call within the week, I believe saying like they wanted a phone interview. And then I just remember like the one thing was how much do you weigh? And I said, Oh, I weigh like 185 right around there. He's like, good. I like my riders big. And from there is like i think we have a very a lot of the same racing mentality it's just he has a much bigger engine than i do 
and he's incredibly talented and just a whole bunch of accolades to his name. Have you gotten an opportunity to to like actually get to know him and the other guys on the team? Well, when the first COVID pandemic first started, we were supposed to go to Birmingham, Alabama to race the the Hammerfest, I believe that's what it's called. So I got to like actually like spend a weekend with him. Sadly, COVID canceled the race. A lot of the riders turned around mid-flight, and it was just me, him, uh, and then another guy. And just I got to know him a lot from there, and I think I made a lifelong friend. You know, what are the things that you want to learn from Tom and want to learn from the more experienced guys on the team about this crazy sport? I think I'm in a, a really unique position where I'm only 21. And I think last year, if like we would have had a full season, I would have been the youngest guy by five, six years. So I would have just been surrounded with a whole bunch of like expert, like a whole bunch of riders who with probably my experience like squared. So it would have just been like kind of a bath of knowledge, almost of racing where it's, it's not like the, you can teach stuff, but you can also watch by what people do and like what little things they do. And the little racing I did with Gibbons this year, I learned a lot. It was just hard, aggressive. You're not taking your foot off the gas one one bit. I forgot about that. You actually had the opportunity to race in 2020 before the pandemic started. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to race with Tom because your college races would overlap with open races that he would come to. And so the two of you actually had an opportunity to go head to head. And or support each other, I guess is probably a better way. What do you think are some of the things that looking back on that opportunity, you weren't expecting? I wasn't expecting how hard you would ride. I would do the collegiate races like that day. And one of my ba- biggest memories was uh, the Birmingham. No, it was not in Birmingham. It was the Auburn Collegiate Weekend. I did the collegiate crit race, crashed out of that, was battered bruise and all that stuff and i just like hopped up on adrenaline and went to him and be like gibbons you got an extra jersey i'll i'll lead you out in that race and <laughs> and he got that win and i think i ended up like fifth or sixth place in that race but it was like this is awesome it's like he races so hard and it's it's crazy how, how big of a difference it was but i mean you st- <laughs> so you crash out of a collegiate race line up in a in a senior you know cat one two race and helping Tom, you end up with your own top 10. So that that's like, again, racing from the front seems to be your motto here. Yeah. What do you think that you are going to need to do as a bike racer to step it up so that Tom and the guys like him? So, you know, Justin and Corey Williams, Connor Saley, uh, you know, any number of the top five from you know, webplex end up in a race, you'll be able to take turns with them too. I think it's just all about committing. A little memory I have was uh, my first speed week. So 2019 Spartanburg, I was just kind of sitting in the middle of the entire race was like taking it all in. It was like, oh my God, this is, this is the biggest race I've ever done. Then I found myself like middle of the race, just taking a flyer. And I think Connor Solly was actually in that with me. And then next thing I know, oh, wow, this is something big. I'm with the big dogs right now. I'm just a 19-year-old college kid. I was still racing for North Star Development. 
And it was so surreal and it was amazing. That was short lived for, I think, five, six laps, but it was still like the best five, six laps of the night, I think. I remember watching, rewatching the announcers and it was like, they're saying is like, oh, this young kid, he might not take a pull because he's so young. And I was like, I'm going to pull. I was like, if I blow myself up in this breakaway, I blow myself up in this breakaway. But it's just, it's just committing to those bigger, stronger riders and showing that is like, you want to work, even though you might not make it to the line. I love this part of our sport that we have to go full send all in and then you have to go harder and and then you have to sustain it. And so like to make a breakaway, to race aggressively, that means that you have to, you have to put yourself out there and you have to be willing to fail in spectacular fashion. But if you one time out of 10 that it works, it is the greatest high that you can ever experience. And I get this feeling that you're chasing that. I chase it, I think, every bike race. I can probably look at the last 15 races I've done, and they all somewhat included a last lap, last 10 lap breakaway attempts, just stuff like that. And people started to know me because five laps to go, they'd be like, where is, where is he? Because he's going to try to do something. Oh, there's a lot of guys in USA Crits who specialize in that. And I have a feeling that you're going to be next to Connor Mullervey or, you know, next to any of the guys from Cliff Bar, frankly, who are going to try to take a flyer at some point in time. What do you want to do with this sport and with your involvement as an athlete here in the next five years? Because, I mean, in five years, you'll be 25. It's these are prime years in your life. You're starting a career. You know, you may end up meeting somebody and starting a family. There's a lot of big decisions that you have to make. How do you want bike racing to fit into that? I think for me, bike racing is like when I'm old and 65, not saying 65 is old by any means, but like when I'm at that point in my life, I want to be able to look back at this time and be like, I didn't give up. I took this opportunity and I ran with it for as long as I could. So wherever it takes me is like, I'm open for it. It could take me to Australia. It could take me to China. It could just keep me in the United States. But as long as I'm able to like sleep with myself every night saying like, I'm giving it 100%. Like that's what I want to get from cycling is not, not to regret not doing it. How do you think that you pay back that faith that Tom is putting you by putting orange on your back? I think the biggest way for me to pay him off or to like, yeah, for me to pay him off is to get those results is to progress in the cycling world. I might not, I might find massive success on his team, but I will always give him the credit of giving me success because he was the one that bring me up to this platform. He was the only one to accept me at my race resume to be on their team for 21 for uh, 2020. And I got turned down by other teams and I was probably going to stick with North star until automatic gave me that opportunity to race with them and then they've automatic has given me a bunch of confidence where i'm now seeing that confidence come out in the races which is very very awesome so what do you say to somebody who's younger than you you know a 16 year old or a 15 year old who may just be getting into the sport or may have been in the sport for a couple of years and is trying to make the decision on whether or not to stick with it whether to start playing basketball or baseball or whether just to pack it in and not be an athlete anymore. I would say do it for the love of it. Don't feel like you have to do it because 
it's who you are, feel like you have to do it because you love it so much. And just to chase that passion, chase that drive you have for it. And you'll come out, you put the time and energy, you put, you, you make the sacrifices for it and it'll eventually pay off even in a brutal sport like racing. Dalton, thank you so much for joining us. And we're going to be following you in 2021 whenever racing starts. Yeah, hopefully it starts fairly soon. joining us on another episode of the show. We're a proud member of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. For more information about the network and about the shows that are on it, check out wideanglepodium.com. Today's show was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly. In between now and the time that the next show comes out, if you want more cycling content, follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Criterium Nation. Join us here next week when we talk about more stories from inside our Criterium Nation.